even on those days that are negative, um, we remind ourselves that we're lucky that our favorite, you know, hobby or our pastime or what we love to do on the weekends, we get to do on Monday morning. So it's pretty amazing that the thing that, you know, the thing that my personal why is to bring people together through the power of the bike. And we get to do that every day um, uh, in public policy, in programming, in um, all sorts of different sort of uh, initiatives and campaigns. So it's pretty exciting. And actually, a couple of years ago, I, I, um, I had, had had a particularly bad day and someone had called and yelled at me about a bunch of stuff. And so instead of like focusing on the negative, uh, which is natural human tendency, I made this list of all the people I love working with. And I constantly add that list. And Megan Hotman, I guarantee your name is on that list. And um, instead of focusing on this one sort of Debbie Downer, I was like, okay, I have this list in my work journal. And I refer to it often because there's so many awesome folks that work in the bike industry and in bike advocacy at People for Bikes, at IMBA, at NICA, you name it. So I try to like remind myself of those amazing folks that I get to work with to change the world. You know? You're listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Relish Studio. Check them out on the web at relishstudio.com. They are a digital marketing firm devoted to purpose-driven business leaders, and their goal is to guide and support their customers as they realize the full potential of marketing to fuel both business and personal growth. Speaking from personal experience, I have worked with Relish on websites, logo design, and in fact, the editing of this very podcast. I can't say enough about them. And my friend Stu is just a wonderful human. He is totally in alignment in terms of environment and sustainability, two things I'm very passionate about. And in fact, their entire business is a 1% for the planet partner which means they're giving back a percentage of their revenue to environmental causes and organizations. I just love these guys. I can't say enough about them. If you decide to check them out and you want to hire them for a new job, make sure you mention the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast to them and they will offer you a 10% discount off of their normal rate on their first engagement with you. Check them out, relishstudio.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the show. It's been a few months since we last posted an interview, but this one was worth the wait. I am so excited to introduce you to my friend and fellow bike advocate and uh, fellow South Dakota native, Jen Dice, also known as the CEO and head of People for Bikes, the country's most amazing bike advocacy organization these folks are the the voice of bike legislation, model legislation for e-bikes, um, lobbying and effective work with our elected officials on the Hill. Um, just really a powerful and persuasive and effective organization. I've been a longtime fan of People for Bikes since they first began and I'm still a huge fan. And of course, I just love that Jen is now running the show over there. And I just couldn't wait to get her on the show and talk about things related, not just to bike advocacy, but also similar to the interview I did with Pete Piccolo over at Bicycle Colorado. I was curious to hear from Jen, what keeps her going, what sustains her and what, you know, helps her prevent burnout and really keep her head in a game. Um, I've listened to several ritual podcasts in recent weeks and one theme that has really struck me with some of his guests is how he talks about people working in sort of the uh, unsolvable problem arena, which is not to say that these issues are not solvable. They certainly are, but they are things that may not see a resolution in our lifetime. And yet these individuals and these very impassioned movers and shakers in these various, um, you know, realms of, of improvement for the world 
for the world's benefit, you know, really dedicating one's life's work and mission to something that may not see a resolution within um, their lifetime. Just what a powerful undertaking that is. And I would say that Jen Dice is certainly squarely within that space and is in that arena of working to make cycling safe and awesome for everyone in America. And that may not be something that sees resolution in our lifetime, but yet she certainly speaks to the progression and the improvements already that have been made. And, and this interview really left me with hope and optimism on a topic that, um, you know, quite frankly, over the last year had broken my heart just in terms of the state of cycling in the United States in general. Um, I was recently featured on another podcast called the I Am Driven podcast. You can check that out on your favorite podcast um, provider and listen to my interview uh, where I speak with Dr. Doug about what it means to be a driven woman and what it means to deal with some of that angst that can creep up in us that needs to be um, dealt with, that cannot be avoided. Uh, I'll also just share, I've recently made my way through three really great books that I highly recommend. The first is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I totally recommend this book. I folded down so many corners of the pages with um, sections that I wanted to make sure I came back and and referenced. I just found this book really impactful. And um, one of my biggest ahas from that book was simply that if we have made something positive a habit, it takes a lot less decision power to simply stick with the habit than it does to decide if we're going to do the thing or not do the thing every day. So when we talk about decision fatigue and how many of us are struggling with decision fatigue and all the myriad of decisions that face us on a daily basis, one of the beautiful things about having positive habits in place is that by virtue of it being a habit, we can eliminate some decision fatigue with with those things. So just really giving some thought to what types of things I want to be habits in my life. Um, one habit that I have reinstituted that I'll just share is getting up in the morning. I think I've talked about this before where I'm pretty religious about getting up and drinking eight to 16 ounces of water first thing before I go on my morning walk or before I make my morning coffee, just getting some you know hydration going. Um, and I've recently incorporated that practice with my athletic greens, which is a really awesome supplement and it eliminates the need for all kinds of vitamins and minerals and opening all these stupid bottles and swallowing all these capsules. I heard about athletic greens from the ritual podcast. I believe if you check them out at athleticgreens.com backslash backslash rich roll, you can get some freebies. So I totally suggest that you check that out. So that's a new um, kind of reinforced habit that I have um, instituted. Another one is trying to be really dedicated to either going on a walk after my evening meal or drinking um, some diluted apple cider vinegar, both of which have been shown to um, reduce or help manage blood sugar responses to meals, which is really helpful for setting myself up for a much better night's sleep. So just a couple small habits that I'll share. Um, two other books. One is Cleaning Your Mental Mess, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. I had the opportunity to listen to her speak live through an entrepreneur organization uh, webinar a couple weeks ago. I was just so struck with her approach and her um, sort of scientific studies and the the way that she approaches anxiety, stress, toxic thinking, really providing um, a map, um, five simple scientifically proven steps. Definitely recommend that book. Um, Learned a lot is a book that I'm going to come back to time and again and keep re-referencing. Um, the third book is one that I just read this last weekend, which was uh, Super Bowl weekend. I was out of my van on a van adventure, and instead of watching the game, I really spent some time in this book. It's called A Year to Live, How to Live This Year as If It Were Your Last. Um, just a word of warning, I will say that the recommendations and practices for the life review, when we go back and we review our life, and specifically the section that talks about the people that we've maybe hurt or people's whose hearts we've broken. Um, 
those thoughts definitely altered and impacted my sleep for the next couple nights. And I was having some pretty vivid dreams of some of those people that I hadn't maybe given specific thought to in a long time, but had really called them into my into my soul and into my heart through this life review process. Um, it, it also, of course, asks you to call in people that you've had really positive and beautiful experiences with. And um, this paragraph on this page, uh, I'll just share briefly. It says, sit quietly for a while and bring to mind someone from your past whose kindness touched your heart. Envision yourself speaking to that person. Tell them what they have meant to you. Send your gratitude to them as though your hearts were connected. Thank them, and when the conversation ends, bid them farewell. Say goodbye to them as if you might never see them again, even in memory. It's such a beautiful book, and it's a short read. It's, it's a small, short book. It's one that I would like to reread every year, perhaps. Um, it just seems like a really powerful way to live more consciously and more presently, which has certainly been top of mind for me. Um, yeah, so those are three books I totally recommend. I'm thrilled to bring you this interview with Jen Dice. It happened to be uh, recorded during her birthday week. I just want to send a special shout out to her and just say how thankful I am that she was born and that she is part of my universe. And she's definitely one of my heroes. And she's one of the women that I respect most and who is making a huge impactful difference. So please check out peopleforbikes.org. Please join People for Bikes. It's free to join. You simply give them your email address and then they can mobilize you if there's a bill or a topic that needs um, votes or needs letters to elected officials from a specific jurisdiction. Please participate in that process. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't cost you very much time. They will literally tee up the email that you can send the elected official. Um, although I, of course, encourage you to make it your own and modify it and personalize it. But those things don't take much time and they do have pretty big impact. And so that would be my ask of you as you're listening today. And um, I'll have some links in the show notes to a few things that Jen mentions, as well as her LinkedIn profile, if you want to check her out and follow her and get connected with her and just send up some positive vibes for her and the work that she's doing. Um, my own personal experience about being an advocate in the cycling space is that too often I did feel as though I heard only the negative, um, you know, uh, the, the voices in the crowd that wanted to be very um, destructive and wanted to poke holes in the work that I was trying to do and wanted to, you know, basically throw, throw crap at me down in the arena from their cheap seats. And those comments and those voices really do have pretty destructive consequences. And they unfortunately do really tend to stay with me. And I don't know about Jen and if she does a better job of tuning those things out, but I will say that I think she deserves to hear our positive kudos and our thanks. So shoot some of those her direction, if you would. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate our listenership. I just want to say thanks for continuing to come back. This has definitely been a passion project of mine. We are currently seeking new show sponsors so that I can continue working with my friends over at Relish Studio and their help in the production of the show. So if you or your company may be interested in sponsoring an episode, please reach out. You can find a way to contact me about the show at MaximumEnthusiasm.com. Appreciate your support. Have an awesome day. Oh my goodness. Good morning, Jen Dice. Welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Good morning, Megan Hotman. So excited to be here. <laughs> for our listeners who may not know, Jen is the head boss over at People for Bikes and is one of my all-time idols and just leaders in cycling, leaders in life. You're just so amazing. I mean, I just have Back to gush you, over I joke that I want to be Megan Hotman when I grow up. It's like, well, you we're are in trouble then. Of nature. So we'll return the love. Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Fair enough. No, I, I really do respect the hell out of you. And I just appreciate everything that you do and your tenacity. And that's actually one of the things I really want to talk to you about today is just the, the fortitude and the resilience that it takes to be in the, 
in many advocacy realms, but because of our experience in the bike advocacy realm. I mean, is that just who you are, Jen? Are you just tenacious and resilient or has this job made you that way? Where does that come from? To be a bike advocate, you have to be an optimist and you have to sort of see the world that you want to live in and move in that direction for sure. So absolutely optimistic and resilient, or maybe um, you just get up and you don't take no for an answer, or you think about plan B or plan C uh, and come at it from another angle um, to keep moving forward. Maybe all that endurance mountain biking uh, sort of mentality of like, keep going, <laughs> is part of it. I'm not sure. I I just have so much respect and admiration for people who will keep plugging away at the causes that, you know, are not going to be solved overnight and are like really slowly turning the Titanic type of causes. And so you've been in this space for a long time because you came from IMBA before this. Um, yeah, I worked at IMBA, uh, you know, worked at PFB now for, well, it's almost nine years actually. And um, just work with the most dynamic, talented team. Like everyone who works at People for Bikes gets up every day to make the world better through bikes. Like we believe that bikes make life great and um, we believe in our work. And when you have mission driven work and feel that it matters, you know, it's fun. We're leaving a legacy and the work is um, the work is really inspiring, obviously. That's huge. And I'm sure there are some days when you have to cling to that more than others, when it does feel like we get beat down on a regular basis in this space. What is, of one of, sure. what is one of the big wins that you're really celebrating, whether in the last nine years or more recently? Like, what's one thing that you can say, look how far we've already come? Well, the, the e-bike team is just phenomenal. And in the last few years, they passed 38 state e-bike bills. And that's like model electric bicycle legislation. So we've gone state by state. We have model legislation to classify class one, class two, class three e-bikes. And it has been really galvanizing for the bike industry. The, the leaders in the bike industry that are behind this movement are some of the best out there. And we really love working with this group of folks. And then now in the last few years, we've moved on to purchase incentives. So we want to give folks options for mobility so that you could get a tax credit on the purchase of an electric bike so that it reaches all communities, um, not just, you know, the folks that are um, uh, that have protected bike lanes. We're really thinking about how do you get connected bike networks to all neighborhoods and all communities. And electric bikes are a really great mobility option and mobility solution for a lot of people. Um, so I think the thing that the team is the most excited about in the last few years is all of our work on electric bikes, purchase incentives, um, and you know we do a lot of EMTB, electric mountain bike work as well too, and we're just getting going there. Yeah, because as you mentioned, e-bikes can be expensive, so you're really trying to help tackle sort of the financial end of that by getting a tax credit or some sort of recoupment of some of that cost to make these things more mainstream and more feasible. And of course, they've come so far already in coming down in price from when they first yeah. rolled out. They really have come down in price, and as there's more, um, as technology gets better and um, more efficient, and as more companies enter the market, competition is a very good thing, as you can imagine. And you, you know, we dream of a world where bikes and e-bikes are ubiquitous; that they're everywhere. It's been, it's absolutely been nuts. Our sales in the last few years, uh, the value of e-bikes tripled in the last three years, and just. Last year, 2021, we sold 50% more e-bikes than 2020. We actually sold 240% more than 2019. They are just skyrocketing. And um, anybody who rides an e-bike gets it. They're like, they're fun. Yeah, exactly. I see you on your e-bike all the time on social media, but they're a blast. They reduce barriers for folks. They just um, are a great tool for recreation, uh, mental health, or transportation, you know? Well, so... Um one more thing I want to ask you about e-bikes. I've been shocked as a bike racer, and I know you're a former or a concurrent competitive cyclist. You do a lot of mountain bike stuff. Um, yep. What is it with this sort of bike racer hating on <laughs> e-bikes thing? Like I've worked really hard oh. to dismantle that. It drives me crazy when a cyclist will roll up next to me and say, that's cheating. And I always say, no, if I was in my car, that would be cheating. I still have to pedal this thing. You know, Megan, what, what's you have to that? earn your turns. Come on. What are you doing? You are cheating. I know. 
you know, five years ago, it, I remember <laughs> I was at the Austin Rattler. It's a lifetime fitness event. It's a really great event down in Austin, Texas. And um, I'm on the start line and I'm, I'm, I love events because they motivate me. And um, so I sign up for a lot of events, but you definitely can't call me a racer. I just, I, I like to go. And if I mid, mid to late pack, I'm happy, but I'm at the starting line of the Austin Rattler race. And I'm getting in a fight with a guy from Summit County, Colorado about e-bikes because he was like, oh, that's cheating. That's ridiculous. Summit County should ban them everywhere. And it's like, you have no idea, like, you know, how close minded that is. And it's just like, and honestly, it um, every year it dissipates more and more. And, uh, you know, it, people were um, the folks that were the most hardcore against them five years ago. You just see them as a solution for so many people from so many different demographics. And um, the world has changed in the last two years of COVID and, and e-bike sales are a testament to that as well, too. So, but you're right, you know, they'll, they'll always be haters no matter what it is that we do. And we'll just, we'll move on without them and we'll have fun on our e-bikes. Well, on that note, I'm glad you brought up haters just sort of in the broader sense about the portion of our community that just can't wrap its head around cycling in general, just doesn't understand why we would ever ride bikes for any reason, let alone on a road. You'd belong on the sidewalk or the bike path, but you shouldn't be on the roadways. And I'm sure you all get your share of vitriol in the comments, just like any of us that are involved in bike advocacy. You alluded earlier to just having such a clear mission and a really dynamic team around you, but what do you personally do to kind of keep yourself in the game on those days when the negativity does kind of reach a you know dull roar? What what recharges you? Uh, going on a bike ride, of course. <laughs> any any um, bad mood that you have when you go outside, whether it's hiking or walking or riding a bike, it's amazing how it does dissolve. Um, <laughs> So I, I try to get outside as much as I can in the morning and at night or whenever. Um, you ha we get to work in bikes. So even though there are parts of our jobs that are you know running into the brick wall over and over again or can be really negative with some of the haters, um, we, we, every day we get to work on bikes and our mission of you know putting more people on bikes more often and making bike riding better for everyone. And so. Even on those days that are negative, um, we remind ourselves that we're lucky that our favorite, you know, hobby or our pastime or what we love to do on the weekends, we get to do on Monday morning. So mm. it's pretty amazing that the thing that, you know, the thing that my personal why is to bring people together through the power of the bike. And it. we get to do that every day um, uh, in public policy, in programming, in um, all sorts of different sort of uh, initiatives and campaigns. So it's pretty exciting. And actually, a couple of years ago, I, I, um, I had, had had a particularly bad day and someone had called and yelled at me about a bunch of stuff. And so instead of like focusing on the negative, uh, which is natural human tendency, I made this list of all the people I love working with. And I constantly add that list. And Megan Hotman, I guarantee your name is on that list. And um, Instead of focusing on this one sort of Debbie Downer, I was like, okay, I have this list in my work journal and I refer to it often because there's so many awesome folks that work in the bike industry and in bike advocacy at People for Bikes, at IMBA, at NICA, you name it. So I try to like remind myself of those amazing folks that I get to work with to change the world, you know. I love that because our human tendency is to let the 10% the negative outweigh the 90% positive all the time we do that. I can't say I win every day, but I try to ground myself in that and like go back to that list to remind what we get to work on. So, and, and you know, now is hopefully, hopefully knock on wood, we're emerging from COVID a little bit. We actually had an e-bike event in Tucson in November in your neck of the woods. And we brought 115 people together uh, lots of leaders in the bike and advocacy um, communities to talk about e-bike issues. And it was the first time we've gotten together in two years. And I swear those two days were just magic because you're like, ah, oh, I forgot I loved you or I work with you or a new colleague or somebody I only knew on Zoom. And it was just reminded you of the power of the people that we get to work with to change America and to change bicycling. Oh, you know? your enthusiasm is just so contagious. Um, speaking of your teams, I mean, you recently ascended to the top at P People for Bikes in the last couple of years. You took over um, CEO role, correct? 
Yep. Uh, president and CEO, uh, Tim Blumenthal was my predecessor. He was here for 17 years and at IMBA for, I want to say a decade before that, or he, he's been in bike advocacy for a long time. So, um, uh, and the team has just grown and grown and grown. Uh, bicycling has been growing in the last few years and it, it, it's super exciting. It's a great well, opportunity. You have always seemed to me a very clear and natural leader, but I imagine that there are surprises inherent in stepping into that role when you've worked within the organization and now you are ascending into that top leadership role. Um, any advice for really amazing team building or being a good leader or things that have surprised you or blown your mind? Uh, I mean, we all know that change is constant. Change is, um, you know, just you embrace change every day and the world has changed so much in the last two years, the way we do business, the way we live, the way we work, um, the way that we think about the impact that we're having every day and sort of that legacy we want to leave. And so people have really taken stock of that in the last few years. And at PFB, we really, we were so many new people started writing in March, April, May of 2020. And we were seeing the numbers coming in and trail counters and sales and Google searches, you name it. And everything we've been obsessed with is how do you keep it going? How do you, these folks that have returned to the bike or found bicycling for the first time in, in years or the first time ever, how do you keep them on their bikes? And how do we maximize this moment in time for more bike infrastructure, for more equitable bike networks, um, for climate gains, uh, for mental and physical health, and really We've just been truly working round the clock to take advantage of this um, this tailwind that has been all these new folks that have turned to cycling. So, you know, um, and what we've learned is like being adaptable, being resilient, ready for change. Like our team is so talented and they immediately jumped into action for COVID response, COVID recovery, COVID resources, um, making sure bicycling and bike shops were essential. Um, fighting some of the punitive tariffs that have made bike prices just skyrocket um, and and really using this moment with mayors, with governors, with um, members of Congress to get them to see the solution that a bike is and to, to more fervently get bikes as a policy solution and funding and access and regulation, you name it. So it's been and all about change and being resilient, <laughs> being well, nimble. You're obviously modeling that for your team as a leader. So, you know, kudos to you. It's sometimes can be lonely at the top, but just to reflect back to you, just how magical your leadership is and has been. There, um, I have a lot of mentors. I mean, uh, I have mentors on the board. I have mentors in, you know, my predecessor, Tim. Um, I have an executive coach. Her name's Marilyn, and she's a, also a force of nature. I love her. Um and then I'm part of a couple of different uh, trade association groups where peers, um, it's, it's organized through NPD, the market research firm, where um, other trade association CEOs get together every six weeks or so and talk about what they're going through. And it's like, there's, as you can imagine, there's a lot of business groups out there like the toy association or real estate or retail or fragrance or, you know, shoes, you name it. Um, and then there's a lot of national nonprofits here in Colorado so there's another group that I'm part of from time to time where national uh, Colorado nonprofits in the bike and outdoor industry space get together and just compare notes and how everyone's um, coping with COVID, you know, with a great um, with a hybrid work environment and the great resignation and all the sort of changes and how people want to work and um, culture. Just I learn a lot from other folks as well. I think that's a really great point to just reach out to people in parallel positions as your support, because oftentimes you can't confide some of your struggles in your team because you are the leader. And that's where we get into this isolated bubble of, you know, really seeing a breakdown in our leadership. Um, so kudos to you for being very proactive and reaching out to people that can be that wind beneath your wings when you do kind of need to step out of the organization a little bit and get recharged by people who can understand, you know, how hard it is to be in a leadership position. Um, which I selfishly just want to say thank you to that because I want you to be able to be in this position as long as you can be. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have the greatest job in the world. I absolutely love it. And I just, um, I love the continuous learning as well. So I'm always reading, you know, uh, have an audible going or um, reading a paper book, an old fashioned paper book, or um, just, you know, love podcasts, of course, as well, too. So it's, uh, it, I definitely am a big reader. 
So on that note, I would love to dig into yeah, your background um, a little bit. I know you and I share the South Dakota roots and we have that in common. And then you also went to, um, forgive me if I say the wrong one, University of Kansas for your master's, right? Or did you go to KU? Right. Yeah, I went to the University of South Dakota for undergrad and uh, KU for grad school, um, Rockchuck Jayhawk. And uh, just, I went to school for public administration. So that's nonprofit management or city or county management. So um, it, it really set me up perfectly and then moved to Colorado right afterwards. Now, and you've got a history between IMBA and even some of the work you were doing for Summit County. You've kind of always been in this, well, certainly public service realm, but more specifically in the legislation policy realm. Like as a little girl, did Jen want to grow up and be a politician? Did you want to grow up and be an elected official? What what? Yeah, I think early on in college, or in high school, college, and grad school, I actually, um, it, I worked for elected officials. I worked for the state legislature. You know, I went to um, Congress and did an internship for our, a South Dakota U.S. senator. And I always thought I wanted to run for office. I did like I paged for a, a state legislator um, who was a, a force of nature. Her name was Jean Beto, also one of my mentors. And so I always said I wanted to run for office. And then I started working for lobbyists. Um, I worked for lobbyists at the Colorado and the Kansas legislature in um, nonprofit lobbyists. And all of a sudden I'm like, ah, this is how you can really affect change because lobbying is really just persuasion for what you believe in or sales even. And so I was lobbying for city and county government issues, um, municipal issues, and, and um, you can imagine you know, in Golden, where you live, or Boulder, where I live, there's a lot of county issues that affect everyday yeah. citizens from transportation and telecommunications, healthcare, education, you name it. And so uh, really loved being a lobbyist. And you would pass a bill in, say, March, and you would see it implemented in the summer because state legislatures are so responsive. And I loved working in the Colorado Capitol. I knew everyone from um, you know, the security folks to the Speaker of the House. And it was just a small, tight-knit community. And we worked really closely together. And you just felt like you were really making change. So it was pretty great. And then all of a sudden, I found out about lobbying for bikes. And I was like, hold it. That's a real job? <laughs> I know. So jumped over from lobbying for cities and counties to lobbying for bicycling. Which I think that's an important distinction for listeners to understand about what People for Bikes does is, and this is an important distinction that I too have had to learn about People for Bikes as it differentiates itself from some of the other advocacy organizations that are on the state level. You know, first of all, People for Bikes is a national organization. It represents many of the retailers that are within the cycling realm, as you alluded to. It works on model legislation, like you said, with e-bike stuff, but then you're really doing a lot out in Washington, D.C., which I have to be honest, I hadn't fully appreciated the nature and scope of that work until you all invited me on that women's fly-in where you brought in a bunch of women in the cycling industry and um, put us up out in Washington, D.C. And we got to meet with a bunch of our Colorado elected officials. For those of us who are from Colorado, I mean, you guys facilitated meetings for multiple states. I got to meet your guy from South Dakota. Um Dusty and, Johnson. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Dusty Johnson. And so, you know, I think that's a really important piece that people may not know about people for bikes. I mean, that's a giant chunk of what you do is the legislation aspect. We do. We have this dynamic team in Washington, D.C. Um, that have been working for a long time on lobbying all sorts of all sorts of legislation. So, um, you know, conservation, public lands, mountain biking. Uh, connected bike networks, uh, uh, funding and climate, uh, mobility justice, mobility equity. You know, so we have a pretty big portfolio of legislation that we care about in Washington D.C. Um, that we lobby. We, you know, in a pre-COVID time, in the before times, we would bring people to D.C. and do two or three days on the Hill. We brought executives to D.C probably once a quarter or so in some of our bigger years and um, really felt like we needed to be a constant presence and members of Congress in their office so that they would know the big, the, the solution that bikes are and that we could be there advocating for legislation that we cared about. So. 
the powerful culmination there that I have observed is simply that people forget sometimes how profitable cycling can be for our economy, not just nationally, but locally. Um, the money that bikes bring into Colorado, for example, it's not an oh, insignificant sure. number. And so I think yeah. People for Bikes does a really powerful job of bringing people who are in the retail money making side of cycling into the legislative and lobbying side and just reminding our elected officials like, hey, this this is an, a pretty significant portion of our state's sales tax and our state's tourism. Um, and I know it differs by state, but I think you guys are just in such a powerful, you know, position there to really leverage that as well as speaking to the folks who are retailers and cycling about their responsibilities to help move the conversation forward, that they can't just be focused on selling their next bike. They have to be focused on the bigger picture. And I'm curious, just as People for Bikes has evolved, have you seen more and more of the folks on the retail side of the, I don't want to call it sport, but on the retail side of cycling, really getting involved in the advocacy movement? Oh, for sure. You know, some of the best retailers are the most powerful local advocates because the voice of business speaks loudly and businesses can talk about the economic development of bikes, you know, on road and off trails, tourism, events, races, festivals, um, bike commuting. It's a very real thing. And the outdoor rec economy, this the last big study um, Outdoor Industry Association did was is quite a few years old and we need to get going on a new study. But the, the OIA study is the one that we cling to that said that bicycling is an $88 billion industry. We generate about 780,000 wow. jobs. It's about 11 or 12 million in state and local taxes. So, you know, the bicycling proper, not just, bike, you know, bike sales, accessories, components, tourism, recreation, you name it. So it's a force. And so the communities that do it really well make sure that their elected officials, state and local, know their numbers, know their footprint, and know that bicycling and the outdoor rec economy is a very real, powerful thing. So that's, um, that, quite frankly, that's a lot of our work trying to empower those groups to do even more. I love it. And I think that gap that there was a vacuum there prior to people for bikes really stepping in and being that cohesive glue. So I, you know, I think it's just been so powerful. Well, there, there's a lot of really great groups out there. Of course, Outdoor Industry Association, the ORR, Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, we're part of both groups. Um, we love the, the trend or the movement in the last few years to create state offices of outdoor recreation and tourism. Uh, one of the first states was Colorado here with Luis Benitez, you know, uh, Utah and Washington actually probably were before us. But now I think there's 12, maybe 14 states that have those offices. I'm off the back on what that number is. I just met uh, earlier this week. I met the new woman who's the head of the Arkansas Outdoor oh. Recreation Office. So it's exciting to see these um more and more states get the offices so that at the highest levels of either the governor's office or the legislature, um, we're seen as a force. Uh, outdoor industry, bike industry, ski and snow, you name it, um, we're part of the economy, just like uh, traditional arms like manufacturing or agriculture or tourism, healthcare, you name right. it. Right. Yeah. This is no longer just playtime. This is real business and numbers talk, which helps with the legislation. Yeah. Well yeah. Um, yeah. I know, Luis, that was so significant when we launched that in Colorado, just having that voice at the table when these decisions are being made. <sighs> Tell me a little bit about young Jen, you know, prior to college and master's. What what has Jen's lifescape been? Are you only? Are you firstborn? What did you do as a kid? What types of books have you always been drawn to? You know, let, what? who are you? Megan, I keep talking about myself. So why did I agree to come on, please? <laughs> um, I grew up in South Dakota. I absolutely loved where I grew up. I grew up in Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, my parents and my aunt and uncle have about 120 acres. And so it was great to grow up outside. And we have this beautiful creek that runs through the property uh, called Firestill Creek. <laughs> and we would, as kids, we would grow up building forts and running feral, you know, throughout nature. And what is the GoCo campaign of um, kids grow better in nature or kids grow better outside? And so we really grew up outside. Uh, my um, next door neighbors and I all summer would just disappear on our bikes and um, 
in a, it, the town Mitchell is only about 15,000. So it was really great to grow up in such a tight knit community where, you know, we didn't lock our door. We didn't lock our car. Like there's not like, um, you know, there wasn't really crime to speak over that I knew of as a little kid. And so it, yeah. was, it was a great way to grow up outside. And then of course I fell in love with bikes at a young age. So just definitely did a lot of bike riding. And um, now even in your personal life, when you're not reading, you know, legislation and, and work stuff, what do you tend to be drawn to? What is your, your fun reading or your fun stuff that you do for you? Uh, what I do for me is I still, you know, I love my mountain bike a lot. I, um, I'm actually going on a gravel bike camp in a couple of weeks with my husband for oh, a great. fun birthday celebration. So we're going to do five days of gravel riding in Patagonia, Arizona. Right so on. that'll be fun. Um, for fun, you know, I love to, we have a dog, uh, Lucy, and we don't have kids. So we put way too much energy into the, into the dang doodle. <laughs> uh, but she, um, Lucy is a big part of our life. So we're out hiking and biking with her. We spend a lot of times up in the mountains because we love mountain biking and sign up for a lot of mountain bike events. So um, skate skiing, uh, snowboarding, a little bit of backcountry, a little bit of yoga. I kind of lost yoga in COVID sadly, because you didn't want to go inside to hot yoga, obviously, um, for health yeah. reasons. So yeah. I need to bring you yoga back into my life. I love it. Yeah. You aren't good at talking about yourself. I can tell <laughs> You're like, okay. And next, next yeah. topic, give me something else to talk about. Um, okay. Fair enough. That was a good little glimpse into you into who makes, who is Jen. Um, we have a good Colorado life, just like you, you know, you can totally relate to when I first moved here. I remember I lived, I worked for the town of Silverthorne. I worked for the city manager there and, you know, I moved from KU from Kansas and the city manager saw me there at like, I don't know, after hours. And he was like, Jen, you live in Summit County, Colorado now. This is, if I see you here after a certain time, you are not taking advantage of your summer in, you know, Silverthorne and you should be out um, exercising and recreating or doing what you love. And I remember learning about the triple bypass that summer thinking these people are absolutely crazy. Like they ride a road bike over three passes in Colorado. They spend a whole day doing it. Who are these people? And I, I don't know, a couple of years later, I did it for the first time. Uh -huh. I don't know, like six or seven times. And of course, Leadville a bunch. So it was like, when in Rome, you sort of acclimate, right? And you embrace it and you fall in love with it. It does take a little bit of a retraining. I too spent some time in Kansas out of law school and not that there's anything wrong with Kansas, but it doesn't offer the myriad of outdoor options, generally speaking, that Colorado does. So you do kind of have to reframe your um, after hours plans accordingly, that it isn't just work, work, work. There's a lot of fun to be had, totally. which I'm glad so, that you're still doing because I imagine, parts. yeah, <laughs> it's so difficult to choose. Honestly, that's the hardest part. It is. I, I'm trying to think of, there's someone trying to talk me into a new sport and I'm like, I have, we have so much gear. I mean, our <laughs> gear, we call it the gear garage. I mean, our gear garage is packed with gear and we, you know, we got fat bikes a few years ago. We have gravel bikes, you know, my husband really loved to like skin up um, in the morning uh, on the yep. resorts early. So I've started to do that, that with him a little bit. And I mean, there's just, there's too many fun options, you know, too many it's fun options. Well, um, pivoting back to people for bikes, because uh, you mentioned the environment earlier, which I really wanted to touch on, which is that you are really focused in your recent kind of campaigns and posts around two issues, which I think are wonderful, diversity and the climate. And so bikes play an important role in both of those discussions. And I'm wondering if you can kind of, you know, somewhat succinctly for listeners, just kind of summarize what what people for bikes belief is about the role that bikes can play in, in both of those conversations. Sure. I think it's uh, one of the biggest opportunities we have moving forward and that we have um, that we, that has sort of the policy window is open for us in the last two years is bikes and climate bikes as a mobility equity solution as well. And um even a few years ago, you would go into members of Congress's offices and you really couldn't talk about bikes as a climate solution. They just really wouldn't accept it. And now you know, everything that we've seen in the last few years, uh, it's the, the bike is the solution to so many of the problems the this country and the globe fa faces. And so we've been really trying to insert bikes into um, a lot of different climate bills, equity opportunities. Uh, there's more pots of funding in the infrastructure bill 
that help um, solve, you know, climate congestion mitigation um, concerns. And so to see the bike as a solution to some of those community problems and as part of giving communities choice for how they move around their community. Um, we're not anti-car people at all. We're pro, um, pro mobility choice. So right. that you have um, a safe option, whether you're walking, biking, taking transit, riding a, in a car, you name it. And we know we can't build our way out of congestion in so many different places. And we know that there's a ton uh, for most communities there are um, underserved communities, marginalized communities, communities of color that have been left behind in our transportation planning. And so a big part of our work is how do we serve all communities? How do we give people um, a mobility choice um, and help folks have access to opportunity? And I saw there's, I believe, a Colorado proposed bill right now that would be a tax credit or tax relief to employers who offer bonuses and incentives to their um, employees who want to adopt multimodality options. And I know in the past, we've historically had some bike commuter tax credits and rebates that have kind of come and gone depending on the presidential, you know, uh, political leanings. But I think those things are always, you know, at the forefront of your work as well. I know you guys have worked hard on some of those things just to try and bring back any sort of financial incentive, not only to make cycling safer, but to make it the more efficient choice for people, mm -hmm. which, of course, is where Europe kicks our ass 10 ways to Sunday is they've developed ways to actually get somewhere faster on a bike than you would in a car. So then driving becomes a bit more prohibitive. Yeah, I mean, all we have to do is look to Europe to see the future and to see the vision. And Europe is... Um, there are so many creative incentive programs where government uh, and employers have incentivized active transportation through their workforce. So um, there's places where you can, the employer gives you a bike or leases you a bike, or you have a subscription service to a bike, um, where you get, uh, the, the corporation gets climate points for encouraging green, you know, uh, sustainable modes of transportation. Um, incentives for electrification, uh, bringing e-bikes into everything. There's so many good financing schemes, as they call them, in Europe that we've been interviewing and modeling a lot of our public policy after. In the U.S., we're the most excited about the e-bike act. We have it in the Build Back Better Act. You know, who knows yeah. where that's going to end up, but we'll also we'll find another vehicle for it. But right now, the way it stands in Build Back Better is that you would get a tax credit. Uh, a maximum tax credit up to $900. Um, and there's also all sorts of incentives for employers to um, have e-bike charging stations or have some payroll tax credits, you name it. So it's there's about uh, probably 50 active or lapsed e-bike purchase incentive programs around the country right now. Wow. And that's a big part of our legislative activity is Purchase incentives um, are proven successful, give you, whether it's um, off of your tax bill or if it's a flat rate or it's at the point of purchase, we don't care. We're working on a lot of different models because we think that will incentivize folks to buy an e-bike, replace some car trips with electric bikes um, and, and sort of make sure, just like all those states that passed electric vehicle tax incentives right. or purchase years ago, um, we, you know, we believe that they're a big solution for electric bicycles as well. Totally. I mean, I can certainly speak to personal experience. I almost don't drive my car when I have my e-bike um, because most of my errands are within 10 miles of home and the e-bike just makes it so much easier and just not having to deal with parking at congested grocery store parking lots and having front row parking at the bike rack. I'm so bummed my sprouts that I go to here in Arizona. They just recently removed all their bike racks outside of their what? store. I know, I guess That's the landlord done. had gotten some... <laughs> I know I've, I've filed a couple of complaints. I'm like, no, you don't understand how important this is. But I guess there was some theft complaints. So the owner of the property removed all the bike racks. So I'm working hard to get those put back in. Um, but, it's you know, so much <laughs> a woman on a mission. Um, exactly. Don't take my bike rack away. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. No. So. I came out of 2020 really hopeful because I saw what you're talking about, which is fewer people driving, more people riding, cycling, got safer. I saw it with my law firm. We went two full months without even getting a call from an injured cyclist back when Colorado kind of locked down. It just seemed like, oh my gosh, this is what we've been waiting for from a cycling awareness and safety perspective. But then it seems like as we've rolled into 2021 and 2022, 
motorists have just become really angry, just really, and we are seeing this with law enforcement confirming the trends that motorists are driving faster than ever before and more aggressively and maliciously than ever before. You know, you see these studies where they say cyclists are seen as less than human, less than cockroaches. Some of these really discouraging conversations, we all know you don't dare read the comments about any publication that involves cycling because you see all the troll comments that get really nasty. And so what would you say, just as a human who loves bikes, maybe even taking off your official hat at People for Bikes, I mean, what would you say to the people who just seem to have it, who just have something against people who ride bikes? Like, I don't know if those folks are persuadable. I mean, the world is so divisive right now that um, I agree, don't read the chat, keep your head down and keep working. And keep working on public policy, keep working on better infrastructure. The big thing that we focus in on bike infrastructure and organizing the road is safer for everybody, even people who drive cars. So for all those folks that will never, ever in a million years get on a bike, no problem. We want to organize the streets through better um, city planning, better transportation planning so that there's a clear place for cars, for walking, for biking, for transit, you name it. So in those communities where we put in protected bike lanes and um, make connected bike networks, you see safety improve for absolutely everybody. So it's not about um, giving a recreational hobbyist, you know, a place to go play. It's really about public safety, um, mobility, equity, and access. So, um, and and time and time again, you know, studies, you know, prove that out. I really love the 20 is plenty campaign that the League of American Bicyclists is spearheading. Uh, if you reduce speed limits in so many neighborhoods and communities, that goes so far. We have the city ratings program that's underwritten by Trek, and it's a really successful program. We'll rate 700 U.S. cities this year. And when you see a city reduce their speed limit, their um, city rating scores you know, go markedly up. And it, it's one of those things that any chance you get to support a campaign that reduces speed limits in neighborhoods, um, go for it because it'll have a market effect on, on, on safety. Yeah. I've just recently seen some statistics that I think you and some other bike advocacy groups have been rolling out about just the likelihood of not having an injury in a collision or a much less injury for every basically five miles or so that you drop those speed limits. It's really significant. It can be the difference between walking away versus death and so on. For sure. Um, and, and on that note, and you made a great call to action there, and that's really where I'd like us to to spend the rest of our time is um, for those of us who are actively immersed in bike advocacy, it can feel sometimes like cyclists come to us and they're like, you all need to go do something about this or the they of bike advocacy needs to go handle this issue. And my pushback to cyclists in recent years has been, no, you're part of this too. Stop delegating the responsibility to go do something about cycling safety to the organizations or to people um, who are already doing it. I mean, every person who rides a bike can play a role in this bigger picture. So what would your general or specific calls to action be? Um, of course, first, we want everyone to sign up with People for Bikes, get your amazing email newsletters with all the updates. That's low-hanging fruit. That's easy. That's free. What else would you ask of people? That was perfect, Megan. Thanks for the perfect commercial announcement because we we would love for them to join PFB. It's free. It's easy. And then they'll be tied into our Action Alert Network. If something's happening locally, uh, a lot there's so many talented um, state and local bike advocacy groups that are out there on the front lines doing amazing work. And we amplify a lot of their work to help have a bigger megaphone. I think here in Colorado, we probably have 100,000 members, you know, free wow. members of People for Bikes. We have a big, we have a big email grassroots supporter network. So um, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, small, medium and large that you can do as a call to action. But I think I'm just going to pick the one that's the easiest in that When you think about all our passionate friends that love to bike and uh, think about the neighbors around you, wherever you live, that are sort of interested but concerned or they're just sort of like, ah, you know, that, you know, that Megan, that Jen, they ride bikes. You know, I want to know a little bit more about it and um, making it more approachable for everyday people and really welcoming anyone into cycling, whether they have 
jeans on, whether they have a clunky old bike that they might have bought at mass that is old, um, no matter what they look like, no matter what their ability, no matter where they come to bicycling from, it's perfect. It's absolutely awesome. And, um, and just making it fun and accessible and approachable and not this thing that you got to buy a bunch of expensive gear and you have to fit a certain code and you have to change who you are. It's like, no, you can find joy and expression and freedom on a bike. And we just want to welcome more people into the simple joys of bicycling. And so I think the easiest call to action is, is, um, be a little, um, be more approachable and more welcoming and, and get your community on bikes because the more people that ride, the safer it is for everybody and the easier it is to put in bike infrastructure, um, to make all roads safer and all people safer. Mm. Perfectly stated. Yeah. Can you imagine if just each one of us, quote, converted a non-cyclist into a cyclist, what that would do for our voice and our mission and our purpose? And um, I didn't do this on purpose, but because I ride my e-bike to the grocery store all the time, I always just have my helmet on in the store because it's just then I don't have to carry it around. So people, almost every single grocery shop trip, someone will ask me in the grocery store, oh, did you ride your bike here? Of course, I forget I've got my helmet on. So then I usually make some joke about, oh, you know, safety first while I'm shopping. I mean, of course, I rode the bike here. That's why I have a bike helmet on. But it always turns into a really cool organic conversation. And I do hope and feel in my heart that those conversations do if I don't convert them into a cyclist, at least they're going to think about me being a human when they see another cyclist out riding somewhere. Um, so I, I love what you're saying about being approachable and just really helping others come to it with their curiosity rather than making it seem like this really difficult, high, high investment thing that you have to, there's a bunch of complexity to do. Um, I also do want to shout out to people for bikes because for those who do sign up and join, the emails that you guys send us when we are in a specific jurisdiction or location where you have a bill or you have something that you're really trying to get passed with lawmakers, you make it so easy for us to type in our name, our address, our zip code, basically, and we can customize the email or the note that we send to our elected officials. I did not realize how much they take those things into account from their constituents until you flew me out to Washington, D.C., and we met with some of those folks. I was honestly shocked to learn that they don't hear from that many people. And so it truly is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That absolutely blew me away. And so I imagine is, I mean, is this your experience at people for bikes that when we do flood them with emails, it really does make a difference. It does. And there's a whole art and science to it. So every single congressional office, state and local office, um, uh, you know, the, the folks that have more sophisticated systems, they pay attention to constituent services and how many people call, how many people write, how many people show up for a in-person or Zoom meeting. And uh, they get they track it every day and every week. And it, it truly influences um, how they do their jobs. And so uh, there's definitely when, whenever we send an action alert out and we get hundreds or thousands of comments that go in, it helps for sure. They keep track of the numbers. But the best ones are really the ones that you customize. So I just sent one in to my local Colorado state legislature, uh, legislator, and I, of course, customized the top of it and said, Bicycle Colorado had sent it out. So I'm like, oh, absolutely, you got to jump on this. I'll let her know um, a little specific vignette about what that issue means to me because they can tell form letters. They know of that course. some special interest group is sending, you know, it's um, whatever the special interest group of the moment is, it's sending it in. They, they know, of course. But if you personalize it and just tell a quick story about how it affects your family, your kids, your work, your life, it goes that much further. And they do pay attention to that. And calls, honestly, are pretty great as well. Not screaming and yelling at people, but offering solutions. They write, they write, write it down and it goes into the system and the state directors, the chief of staff, the members of Congress, you know, it's part of the process and how they weigh good public policy. Well, I just have to commend you guys and Bicycle Colorado too, because it does make it, and I too try to customize it when I, when I can. Um, when you send me an email and say, hey, we need your action on this, it's so easy. It literally takes one to two minutes and that would be my personal ask. And I assume people for bikes ask too of anyone who rides a bike is to sign up and then do actually take action on those emails. It takes one to two minutes to just enter a little specificity in the in the answer. And I mean, it, it is mind blowing how much of a difference that makes. So we all play yeah. a role in that. For sure, for sure. And if you, you know, when you're out on your regular bike commute or you're riding to your mountain bike ride, 
we, you know, we're the eyes and ears of the road and we know what works and what doesn't and where there's pain points or parts of the heat map that might not be working for transportation um, flow or design or um, our pain points. Quick write, a, you know, it takes two seconds to write a paragraph and just send it in to the Department of Transportation or send it into the city because um, those things, those things, they add up and they matter. They totally do. Well, Jen, any parting thoughts? Any, any like great book or great quote or anything that's just really been kind of top of mind for you lately? Any amazing movie or just what's inspiring you <laughs> these days? Dang, that that was a big question. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the quote that I love the most, and it's some, it's a quote that a lot of people know, so it's not anything groundbreaking, but it's truly, I, I love it. It's from Catherine Graham, who's my favorite autobiography. If you love uh, biographies or autobiographies, it's literally the best one. Catherine oh, Graham, wow. she's the editor of the Washington Post, and she has a quote that's something like, um, to love what you do and feel that it matters, how can anything be more fun? And it's really true. Like, we love what we do at PFB. We know that it matters. It's um, we believe that bikes, we, we believe in the power of the bike to make life great. And um, we go to work every day to make America the best place to ride a bike in the world. So it's pretty great. Thank you so much for all that you and your entire team do. Just please pass on my sincere thanks. And I hope sharing this interview, we can enroll a few more disciples in the in the bike gospel and we'll just keep chipping away. But again, thank you so much, Jen, for all you do. I know it's tireless work at times. Thank you, Megan Hotman, for all that you do and the force of nature and the force of good that you are. Awesome. Thank you, sweetie. Have a great day. I loved my time with you. Let's grab coffee soon. Nice. Thank you. Bye. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.